hey, good morning. Welcome to Three Circle Church. We wanna invite you to stand with us all across the room as we worship our God this morning. Let's sing this out. Lord, how you've loved. Lord, how you've loved me. I don't deserve grace on top of grace. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth. Grace on top of grace. How sweet the sound. Once lost, now found. Heaven came down and grace rescued me. celebrate the amazing grace of God and his beautiful but mysterious plan that led a savior to earth led his son Jesus to us sing this with me in the darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes 
to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. So here's our wholehearted response. We say, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake you died. like no other. 
No one and nothing compares to him. Isn't that right, church? We're so excited to be here with you this morning. You can be seated now as we continue on. My name is Mariah, and like I just said, we're so excited that you have joined us today for this special Advent Sunday. And if you are new to Three Circle this morning, we hope that you not only feel welcome, but that you feel like this is a place that you could call home. And we wanna invite you to stop by one of our guest areas this morning. We have a gift for you there to thank you for joining us. And for everyone joining us online today, we have a gift for you as well. Just send us a message and we would love to get that to you. And for everyone, if you are looking for new ways to connect here at Three Circle, maybe you have been here for a while and you're wanting to find out more about a different ministry here. Maybe you have prayer requests that you would like our staff to pray over throughout this next week. You can fill out one of the connect cards that are in the seat backs around you. Fill that out today sometime during the gathering and drop those cards in the baskets by the door as you exit the worship center this morning. And as always, part of our worship each week is through our financial giving. And if you're a guest with us today, we hope that you feel no pressure at all to give as we are truly just happy that you're here. But for our church family, here are several ways that you can partner with us. And if you're wanting to give in cash or check today, there are giving envelopes that are also in the seat backs around you that you can use. You know, it's because of your generosity that we are able to do so much reaching out here at Three Circle. One of those things you heard about earlier today in our announcement video, it's our Sharing Hope Christmas Initiative. And there's still one week for everyone to participate in this incredible initiative where we're reaching out to families and children in our local and regional areas. So we just wanted to give you a quick glimpse this morning into what your generosity is doing in New Jersey, just right across the river from Philadelphia. Hello everyone, my name's Michelle Pilla and I just wanted to thank you Three Circle for all the provision of gifts that you gave last Christmas. You've made a huge impact here in Camden, New Jersey. As an educator fresh out of college, I saw the need very desperately here. And as I began to research, I realized that Camden is one of the number one violent cities in America. And it's also known as a food desert, which means there are no groceries here in Camden. They have little corner stores, but there's nowhere that they really have to go food shopping. And transportation's really limited. A lot of people don't have transportation. There are many things that these students face, and you have really helped to come alongside of them, especially during the holiday season. So we just wanted to thank you, and we want to let you know that Really, your presence here has opened the doors for us. Uh, last year, we were only at three schools, and then we were able to add a fourth. And just about two months ago, the city has asked us to take 30 of their public schools and to be able to do ministry out of them. When you're giving gifts this Christmas, just know that it's not just a gift. It's not just a tangible thing for us to give them. It literally helps us to to build that bridge with these families. Well, good morning. Welcome to Three Circle Church and to 
all of you who are here in person at our Fairhope campus and to all of those that are joining us live online. We want to thank you uh, for being with us today as we officially begin to focus and give our attention to Christmas. Now, I know that uh, there are some of you that, um, you know, you started decorating and you started playing Christmas music in your house, in your car, you know, back before Halloween was even over. And, uh, but, you know, but for normal people, uh, this, this is when we officially begin to focus, you know, on, on Christmas. Uh, in, in fact, in, in the Christian world, uh, today marks the beginning of what is known as the Advent season. And the word Advent uh, is simply a, a translation of a Greek word that means coming or arrival. And so for the next four weeks, uh, the people all around the world, uh, using various, you know, their various traditions, will be preparing their hearts and their minds for the coming of Jesus Christ. And this has been going on for about 1,600 years, so it's not uh, a new thing. And so by definition, actually, Advent marks the birth of Jesus Christ, but it is also a time for believers to anticipate Christ's second coming. So it's a time to you know, look back and remember, but it's also a time to look forward in anticipation. And so obviously central you know, to Advent is the story of Jesus Christ, the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. And it's uh, recorded for us in the Gospels, in the book of Matthew, and also in the book of Luke. Now, in some ways, it's a little surprising to me, because we're going to read from John, but it's surprising to me that John did not give us a more detailed uh, narrative about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I say that is because I believe that he probably knew the details of the birth of Jesus Christ better than anyone outside of Mary. And here's why I say that. If you remember at the cross, uh, moments before Jesus was going to die, he looked at Mary and said, woman, behold your son. And he was looking at the disciple standing next to her, which was John. And then he looked at John and said, behold your mother. And then scripture tells us that from that day forward, that Mary went to live in John's household. So Mary lived with John. So how many times do you think that the neighbors came over for dinner and while they're chatting about local politics, someone said, Mary, can you just tell us the story one more time? And so she began to tell the whole story of the birth of Jesus Christ. How many times you think that the local kids, when they found out who Mary was, that Mary was the mother of Jesus. How many times do you think they came knocking on the door? Mary, 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 will you tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ? So I think that John knew all about the angels and the shepherds and mangers, and he knew all of those details. But when he gives his pronouncement, which is contained within the prologue of his gospel about the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, He doesn't approach it from the birth narrative, but instead he approaches it from a different perspective. He wants to give us the the meaning of his coming, the impact of his coming. 
So before we actually read the words that John spoke, I, I want to give you the opportunity to create a visual in your head, a visual that eventually I want you to overlay the words of John on top of that image. So here, here's how we're going to do this. Now, the world's largest cave is located in South Vietnam. And it's a huge cave system that goes for many, many miles. It's hundreds of feet uh, deep. And the formations that grow up from the bottom of this cave system are actually over 200 feet tall. So it's a, an enormous cave system. And individuals who have explored it said, as you would expect, that when you go down into this cave system without artificial light, if you were to turn those lights off, it's just pitch black. There is no light whatsoever that you can't see even your hand in front of your face. But they also say that as you're, as you're making your way through this system, you eventually come to one of the large dome caverns in the system. And when you do, you find the most surprising thing. In fact, you walk right upon a forest in the middle of a cave system. It's filled with lavish greenery. It has trees which grow over 100 feet tall. It's filled with not just only the, you know, the, the plant life, but it's also filled with animal life. So there it is in the depths of the cave that a rainforest exists. So how in the world does a forest exist in a cave? Well, what happened millennia ago, the top of that dome collapsed. And when it did, something amazing took place. Light exploded into the darkness. And when that light exploded into the darkness of that cave, it brought life with it. Life began to grow. Plants began to grow. And now these thousands of years later, the darkness has not been able to take over the light. The light still shines in the darkness. Now, with that in mind, I want us to look at what John said about the incarnation in beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, here it is. Here's his pronouncement of what the incarnation was like. He said, in the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John said, when Jesus came, it was like light exploding into darkness, and even after all these years later, some, you know, John writing decades later after the light came, he says, let it try as it may, but the darkness cannot come back and replace the light. Okay? So that's what he says. It's light coming into darkness. Now, this is what the people had been hoping for for over 400 years. They had been hoping for this light to appear because it had been prophesied to them. 
In Isaiah 9, beginning with the second verse, Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For 400 years, they had yearned for this to happen. They had, they had prayed for and waited for, and they had hoped for, the, for God to break into the darkness of their world and to bring life and to bring light. And then on that Christmas night, Jesus came. Now, a little boy who was being told the Christmas story and his teacher said that basic statement, and on Christmas, Jesus came. Well, he was relating it to his experience about what happens on Christmas Day. And what happens on Christmas Day, if someone shows up at the house, they bring something with them. They bring a gift or they bring food. So the little boy, when he heard, and Jesus came, he raised his hand. The teacher said, you know, you know what can I do for it? He said, I have a question. When Jesus came, what did he bring? A simple question, and it really is a simple answer. When Jesus came, he brought God. He was God, made flesh and dwelling among us. He was God breaking into the darkness. But here's the truth. When Jesus came, yes, he broke into the darkness. But we all know the reality that there's still darkness in this world. We know the reality that there are seasons of life that we go through that we could describe best by saying it was a dark time in my life. There are dark seasons. There are times when darkness creeps in and it may be because of a prognosis that we got or because of a, of a betrayal or because of, uh, of abandonment or financial issues or loneliness and isolation. It could be anything, but we find this darkness creeping in to our lives. And what do we do? Like the people before Jesus came, we hope. And what do we hope for? We hope that God would break into our darkness. We hope that God would show up in our darkness, that God would come alongside and let us know once, once again, you are not alone in this. But one thing about hope is we have to realize it's not flimsy, it's not weak, it is not wishful thinking. Hope is not just wishing things were better or wishing God would show up or wishing somehow that, you know, God would do something about my situation. It's not that weak. It's not that flimsy. Hope is the belief that God will show up, that God will come into my darkness, that God will appear as light in my dark moments of life and that he will bring life with him and he will push back the darkness that I'm facing. A week ago, as many of you know, we had the memorial service for one of the precious ladies from this church, Jan Dixon. And Jan was amazing. Jan has been a part of Three Circle Church from the very beginning of Three Circle Church. But before she passed away, I, I sent her husband, Greg, a text. And I texted to him just to let him know that I was thinking about him in that moment and that... I was praying for him and I was praying that God would bring him comfort and peace and that God would give him wisdom because there were some very difficult decisions that they were about to make. And he texted back and he thanked me for my prayers. And then he said something that I have gone back into my text messages and I've read it over and over and over again. 
He said this to me. While Jan's time on earth is uncertain, her future is not. And I read that and I thought, how does someone do that? How does someone in that situation, someone who is, whose heart is aching, someone whose heart is breaking, someone who is in a hospital room and the darkness of death is creeping closer and closer and closer, how do you make that kind of bold proclamation that you know what's going to happen? You know what is going to take place. There's only one way that happens. It's because God showed up. Is because light came into the darkness and light was holding off the darkness because God came along and said, you're not alone in this, I am here. You see, here's what I believe. Some people will say, well, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And so often they're referring to the fact that, that if you'll just work through the darkness of the tunnel, when you get to the end, you'll find God there. Well, that's not what I believe. I don't believe that God is the light at the end of the tunnel. I believe God's the light in the tunnel. I believe when it's the darkest of times in my life that God will show up. I believe it's in the darkest hours of my life that God breaks through and shines light into my darkness and shows me and convinces me afresh and anew that I am here with God. And so as we light the candle that represents the hope that God will break into darkness, my prayer for you is that whatever the darkness is that you might be facing right now, whatever that is, that somehow in this season that you will experience that breakthrough that you're hoping for, that breakthrough that you're praying for. Stand with us once more as you're able. Let's sing this together. This beautiful prayer of our historic faith. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song sung by flaming tongues above. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon it. Name of thy redeeming love. Here I raise reminded of his faithfulness 
second focal point of Advent is peace. Isaiah, the prophet again, prophesying about the coming Redeemer, said this in Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Prince of Peace. Now, here's the truth. So Jesus came on the scene, proclaimed as the Prince of Peace. But let's, let's be honest. Peace is hard to find sometimes in the chaos of the world we live in, right? Sometimes it seems an impossibility to find it. There's so much in the world in which we live that creates stress and creates anxiety. Our minds are, are often just troubled by life's circumstances, And even in this time that we're celebrating the Prince of Peace, it can seem like the additional stress and strain and activities and demands of this season just add to the the stress. They just add to the anxiety that we feel. 
And we sing the, the Christmas carols. And I think that there are times that we're stro- so stressed out and so anxious that we sing Silent Night and we get, to that li- we get to that line, sleep in heavenly peace. And we think, sleep in heavenly peace? I just wish I could sleep. I don't want to hear heavenly peace again. Just some sleep is what I'm looking for. But into that kind of anxiety and chaos, even Jesus spoke. John 16, 33 said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he said in the world there are going to be circumstances that will cause stress and anxiety, but understand that 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 there is peace and, and I've overcome the world and I can give you peace. Now, the truth is we all want peace, right? We, you know, we want peace in our world, peace in our life, peace in our homes. We, you know, we want that. But typically when we talk about peace, uh, we're talking about peace the way the world gives peace and the way the world understands peace. And that is that what we want is peace that is created by uh, better life circumstances. You know, I, if I had a better job, I wouldn't be so stressed out, I'd have peace. If, you know, if, if my finances were better, I'd have peace. If, my, you know, if, if I had a better spouse, you know, I would have peace. Now, I, I have to tell you that in the first gathering, when I said that, somebody looked at their spouse. And uh, so hopefully no one did that just now. If you did, understand we're here for you. Uh, you know, what, whatever happens, we're, we're here for you. You know, so we're always looking, you know, to find peace, but we feel like somehow it's because externals change. But the reality is that biblical, biblical peace is not determined by external circumstances. It really has nothing to do with external circumstances. In Philippians 4, 7 It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's God's peace that we're looking for. It's God's peace resident within us that we want. And so one of the things we know about biblical peace is that it's rooted in a deep and abiding trust in God. Not in circumstances, but in God. It's a trust that goes beyond our circumstances. It's a trust that says, in spite of the circumstances, I'm going to trust God. It's the the picture of of the Apostle Paul on a boat that's in the middle of a storm, and everybody on the boat knows the boat's going down and that they're all gonna die. And they have just given in to the inevitability of that. And the Apostle Paul steps up and said, hey, guys, I just heard from the Lord. And the Lord said, the ship's going down, which everyone said, well, duh. You know, we know that. And he says, ship's going down. But he also told me this, not one of us is going to die. And then I think with a pause, he just sort of looked at their stunned faces and he looked out at the storm and the wind and the waves. And then he looked back at them and he said, you know what? I think I'm gonna trust God. And you see, that's what it takes to create peace. You see this image, Paul standing on a heaving boat, looking at these men who know they're gonna die and says, hey, I trust God. 
That's peace. And that's the peace that God wants us to have in the middle of our circumstances. But biblical peace also is the result of keeping our minds focused on God. And that becomes a secret to maintaining peace in a chaotic world. And Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So you trust in God above circumstances, but now the key is you keep focusing on God. You keep your eyes fixed on God. Now, let me tell you from a personal example, how I I have learned that lesson. I'm, I'm claustrophobic. And it's sort, of a, it's sort of a late onset thing for me. I don't ever remember being claustrophobic when, you know, when I was young. But now you get me in a space that is confined and I'm restricted and I don't feel like I can move. And I mean full on, full on panic attack is coming on. I, it, it's just going to happen. And so I had a crisis. I had to have an MRI. And I thought, yeah, exactly. All those oh no's. I, yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Oh no. And so I, I came up with a plan. Here's how we're, here's how, here's how we're going to do this. So I t- told them, you know, n- number one, you know, you put the headset on and crank the music up. Christian, you know, they always say, what station would you like to listen to? Christian music and turn it up. Because I want my mind to just be pounding with this Christian music. But then also close your eyes. Don't look, right? So don't look. And then the next thing is when I'm in there and I'm starting to feel the stress, I start singing to myself all the songs about peace that I know. I've got peace like a river, peace like a river, peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river, peace like a river, peace like a river in my soul. And then peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above, sweep over my spirit. Forever I pray in, in, in fabulous billows of love. I mean, I'm just singing this stuff to myself, listening to Christian music, and I'm doing good. And then this voice in my head says, open your eyes. And at first I say, peace like a river, peace like a river. You know, I ignore it. And then again, you know you want to open your eyes. Peace like a river. You know, I'm still, I'm, I'm still going through, I'm still fighting it. And then all of a sudden, that voice says, you want to know how close it is, don't you? And the dumbest mistake I've ever made, and I've made a lot, I opened my eyes. And when I saw that thing was right there, it's where's that button that they said, if you have a, if you have a problem, push the button. Where's the button? And I'm pushing the button and you're not getting here fast enough. So if you don't get me out the right way, I'm going out some way. I can't stay in this. Now what happened? I lost focus. I stopped focusing on God in that moment and looked at my circumstance. And whenever we do that, we lose our peace. One final thing about peace, and I would be remiss not to mention this, biblical peace really begins with the right relationship with God. You can't really have peace in this life. You can't really have genuine peace unless you're in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In 1 Colossians 1, 19, 24, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. 
So if you're here this morning in the room or if you're watching online and you've been looking for peace but you've not made that step of faith to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, that's the first step. That's the next step you need to take. You need to receive the gift, the best gift you'll get this Christmas, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you as we light this candle that if you don't know Christ, you'll make that step of faith and find eternal peace. But if you're a believer in Christ and you're struggling this season, you're so stressed, so, so pulled in so many directions, my prayer is that you just get your eyes fixed on Jesus and let him bring that peace that only he can bring. You're the God who's never 
focus of Advent is on joy. And we know that, you know, there can't be any Christmas without joy. Some of the best Christmas cards you'll receive, some of the most beautiful lighting displays are displays that have just one word, and it's the word joy. And you can't go to a Christmas performance or Christmas recital or a a Christmas Eve gathering unless they end with what song? Joy to the world. It's, it's everywhere. It's the, the focal point of the season. And the connection to Christmas is, is very easy to see. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so what is biblical joy? Again, we don't want to look at things from the world's perspective, but what is biblical joy? It's defined by some as a response and reaction of the soul to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's to know him and it's then to respond to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. So that means that joy doesn't just come at the best times. It means, in fact, because it's dependent upon who Jesus is, that we literally can have joy in the worst circumstances of our lives. In the worst moments of our lives, we can still be filled with joy. And the reality is that no matter what happens around it, nothing can take our joy away from us. Now, we can choose not to be joyful, but nothing can rob us of that joy. So what is Christianity? What what is Christian or biblical joy? Christian joy, first of all, is born of the Spirit. Now, that's good news. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter 
of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us and a part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us is to produce fruit. And the Bible describes that fruit. It said that the fruit of the Spirit is love and then what? Joy. Speak up. What is it? Love and joy. So joy then is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. That means I don't have to come up with it. I don't have to conjure it up. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to get alone in my office or somewhere in some you know, meditative state and, and just say over and over chanting, you know, be filled with joy, be filled with joy, be filled with joy. I don't have to do that because it's not my job to create the joy. It's a gift and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's good news because as one man put it, the Holy Spirit ain't broke. Now, what, I, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, it, it simply means this. If you ever find yourself in a time in your life when instead of being filled with joy, you're filled with sadness or anger or frustration or disappointment or anything else, then what that tells us is that we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us joy. We can say, Holy Spirit, will you give me joy in this crisis? Will you give me joy in this difficult situation? Will you give me joy in the place of whatever that emotion is that you might be feeling at that time? And the Holy Spirit is never going to tell you no. You're never going to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, please fill me with your joy. He's never going to say, sorry, we're out. The Holy Spirit is never going to say, have you heard of a, the supply chain crisis? We just didn't get into joy in this week. And so come back later and maybe we can give you some joy. He never does that. So that means any time that I need joy, I just need to go to the Holy Spirit any time, any day, any circumstance, and just ask him to give me joy. But also Christian joy is rooted in hope. That's the basis Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in, in hope. So the God of hope wants us to be filled with hope. And if we're filled with hope, then we can be filled with joy because our hope is anchored to something. You see, your joy is directly influenced by where you place your hope. That's what we find out in this. I struggle with joy if I'm not anchored to the right things. Do you know that in Christian symbolism, the symbol for joy, the symbol for, for hope is in fact the anchor. And so the question is then, you know, what are you anchoring your hope to? What are you connecting your life to? If you connect your hope into things that are transient, into things that are shakable, then it just makes sense that, that our joy is going to fluctuate. We're going to find ourselves overcome with other emotions instead of joy. So we need to find those things that are unshakable and place our hope in them. And in doing that, we will find joy. I love the song that we sing around here from time to time. This says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So what am I anchored to? I'm anchored to who Jesus is and what Jesus said he would do. If that's where my hope is, 
then joy becomes much easier in my life because of where I have placed my hope. So one of the things that you know, we, we talked about early on, that Advent is really about a looking back and a looking forward. It's really about two Advents. It's about the first that has happened, but a second that hasn't happened yet. And so if I put my hope in Jesus and what he said and what he has promised, one of the things Jesus said is that he was going to come back a second time. He said that there will be a day that he will return. So Old Testament saints were were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of the first advent, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so they waited in hope and in anticipation. So what do we do where we are now? We're waiting. We're waiting in hope and anticipation that one day Jesus will keep his word. One day Jesus will do exactly what he promised that he would do and that he will come again. Now, I have no idea when that's going to be. If someone tells you they know when it's going to be, run, get away from them, because no one knows when it's going to be. That's simply not something that we're supposed to know, but it's going to happen. Now, there are skeptics who will say, well, the church has been talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for 2,000 years, and it hasn't happened yet. When are you going to give up and quit hoping in something that's not going to take place? Well, here's what you need to know about the promises of God. Time does not diminish the promises of God. Doesn't matter how long ago the promise was made, in the time that it's supposed to be fulfilled, it will be fulfilled. And so one day, Jesus will keep that promise. And one day, that second advent will come rushing in. So what do we do then in the meantime? Well, as we begin to light this candle in just a moment while we're waiting in the in-between, we need to realize that regardless of our circumstances, if our hope is in Jesus, our hope is in what he promised, then regardless of what's going on, we can be joy-filled. So my prayer for you is that in this season, whatever it is that's trying to rob you of your joy, You'll get your eyes off that, get your eyes on Jesus, get your hope anchored in something that is unshakable and let him fill you with joy. The fourth and final focal point of Advent is love. 1 John 4, 9 says that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world 
so that we might live through him. So it says that Jesus Christ was the manifestation, the demonstration of God, the demonstration of the love of God. So everything Jesus did was a demonstration of how God loved us. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it describes a part of what Jesus did as a demonstration of God's love. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So everything Jesus did was to reveal to us that God loved us. Coming in human form, going to a cross, was all intended to say, I love you. I love the way that one person put it, Jesus in God's love taking hold, Jesus is God's love taking hold of our nature and by doing so tell us, I love you. You see, everything about the Christmas story, but beyond just the Christmas story, everything about the story of Jesus is a display of God's love for us. I mean, born of a virgin, God being made flesh and dwelling among us, living a sinless, spotless life, dying an atoning substitutionary death so in our place so that we could be redeemed, being raised from the dead to give validation to everything that he had said and everything that he had done, ascending to the right hand of the Father. And while he's there, as Pastor Chris so eloquently taught us in the previous series, a high priestly prayer, he is there representing us to the Father. He is there praying for us. But here's the deal, the story of Jesus isn't over. Because one day, one day heaven is going to snap to attention. Because Father is going to make one declaration. It is time. And Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to then make manifest make a reality in this world everything that he purchased for us at Calvary. When he comes, he is going to make perfect again. He is going to make everything right and whole and make it complete. That's the story of Jesus. Why do we even need that story? Why do we have that story? At some point in eternity past the Godhead got together and had a meeting God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit and said we need a plan we need a plan to redeem fallen creation we need a plan to bring back to us those that have rebelled against us and have turned away from us we need a way that we can bring them back to us again. Why? 
There's only one reason. Because he loved us. He didn't want us to be lost. So Jesus was and is that plan. The demonstration of God's love for us. In a moment, we're going to light the final candle for today, the candle that represents love. But before we do, let me just acknowledge what we should all know is true, and that is that Christmas for a lot of people is a very difficult time. It's a difficult time for a lot of reasons, but for some, it's just that this whole, you know, peace, joy, and love thing just doesn't resonate with them. At best, it just seems to be superficial. At worst, it just seems to be fake. There's nothing really to it. And maybe that's rooted in their past. Maybe that comes out of their experience. Maybe it comes from the fact that maybe the people that should have loved them in the past did not love them. And maybe they didn't love them well. But it's somewhere along the line, they have been convinced that they are unlovable. But hear me in this room and online, whoever you are, that's a lie. Everything about the story of Jesus screams, I love you. I love you. And my prayer as we light this candle is you will embrace his story because in reality it's also your story he's the lead but you're the object of his love and I pray that this season that the love of God would fill your heart fill your mind and if it's a struggle for you that you will come to believe and know you are loved by God. So will you sing this with me? Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. In response, we sing, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the Your love has stayed 
great morning of worship and reflection that it has been. So we lit these four Advent candles today that represent hope, peace, joy, and love. You may notice that there is a fifth candle that is yet to be lit. And this is the Christ candle. We'll light it in just a few weeks as it represents his coming. But for now, we continue on through the next few weeks with hearts of anticipation. And um, something super interesting and cool, you know, Advent is not just a day that we celebrate. Advent is the weeks leading up to Christmas. And so our staff has created some incredible, rich devotional content for you. It will be going out this afternoon to your email and on our social media. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. And if you have kids, we have content for them as well that can be picked up in their environments this morning. And lastly, before we go today, we just wanted to give you a quick sneak peek at what Christmas at Three Circle is going to look like this year.
We are so excited, yes, super excited about this brand new teaching series that we are launching next week to celebrate Christmas together. We cannot wait. So we would love it if you would invite a friend and join us next Sunday. Y'all have a great week.